I know some of you wish it was made in the USA, but it isn't. And so it should be here by next week so that we don't have to print out song sheets again. Oh, our life is so hard. Okay. That's a first world problem, as we've said, isn't it? But it would be nice to have that back since we're so used to it. It's hard to clap at a song with a song if you're trying to read what you're... Okay, John 18. <laughs> and uh, I want to update you from where we were last, last week, uh, a little review for you in the Gospel of John. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I meant to have... Uh, Ray was offering to give it for about 20 minutes there, and I, but uh, it's too late now. Okay, Kevin will get you one. He took over. Just raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible and you need one, take one of those red Bibles. We'd love for you to have it. If you need a New Testament in a modern English, we have some in, uh, that we can give to you as well. All right, so Jesus has crossed the Kidron River Valley. It's not really a river, it's a stream, and it's not, it's not really running water all year long, but this is springtime, as this time that we're in, and therefore there's not only water likely in it, but blood that has flown down from the sacrifices and the drainage from the Temple Mount because of so many sacrificial lambs being and goats for the Passover. And Jesus crosses with his disciples that bloody stream, and then he sweats drops of blood. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read about this, not in the Gospel of John, but he has just finished praying his prayer. The disciples were sleeping, and Jesus wakes them and says, Arise, the betrayer is here, all this from the other Gospels. Judas comes with the soldiers of Rome, with the temple guards who come under the direction of the priesthood and the Pharisees. And who's in control? As we said last week, how you know who's in control really isn't who gives orders, but it's who gets what they really want. And really, the only one who got what he really wanted out of all of this is Jesus the Pharisees and scribes, sure, they got his death, but he rose from the dead, and their problems got bigger in their rebellion. The Romans wanted to control, and Pilate wanted to wash his hands of this, and his problems got tremendously bigger. But Jesus got exactly what he wanted. And Peter is told by Jesus, Peter, as he reaches out a sword and slices off the ear of Malchus, one of the high priest's servants, Jesus bends down, picks it up, heals his ear to his head. Put away your sword, Peter. You know, I'll drink the cup of wrath so that you can drink the cup of salvation. And the victory in Christ has already been won. Except for Jesus, he has to walk through that victory. And so in verse 12 of chapter 18, then the detachment of troops and captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient for that one man should die for the people. We'll stop there for a moment. Jesus is, of course, bound that we might go free. And when he goes to Annas, this is the man who was the high priest, who the Romans deposed from being in the position of high priest. And we don't really know why. He caused them to be frustrated or did something they didn't like. He's, we're going to see in a minute, he's a big moneymaker. 
but he's got a son-in-law who's also in that family line. And they have, the priesthood since the days of the Maccabees, 165 B.C., was a great highlight. But after that, it went downhill, and people could actually buy into the priesthood. There's been a lot of confu- You could read a lot of books about all the history there, but this has been a corrupt deal for a while. And so, um, so but, but he's brought, Jesus is brought not to Caiaphas, who is in the position of high priest, and when he spoke of his own mind saying, don't you guys get it that we need one man to die to protect the country? He didn't know he was really prophesying under God's direction. He was saying it for expedience's sake, for what his political and control issues were. But God honored the position he was in. You see, they honor the high priest and take Jesus to Annas first. In their own perverted way, he's the high priest because he was the guy that is, you don't get deposed until you die, according to the Jewish law. So, and they look to him first, and in their own weird, perverted way, they honor the office of the priest. But, you know, this man was thought to have made by some of the historians, when they add up the numbers of what the money that was brought in from illicit means in the temple area where Jesus chased them out for exchange rates, exorbitant exchange rates, making you, somebody has a black marker and marks your animal so they can say, oh, it's mine. They didn't really do that, but where they could make you buy a new animal for a sacrifice. People that came, can you imagine coming with a heart to worship God and being raked over the coals by religious leaders money oh that never happened (laughs) so um in their own perverted way they were supporting this man it's thought that he made up to three in our day and age how much this money would be or when it was written a few years ago three million dollars a year he's not only the chief priest he's the chief thief and Caiaphas with him The point is that God can use any man, any woman, any person, even a donkey, right? Where am I going? Who's the name there? Balaam. God can use anyone to accomplish his will, even when they're in rebellion. It doesn't mean they're blessed personally. It doesn't mean that makes righteousness to them. But God will use a person. Ask Jonah. Jonah was in rebellion, even when God brought him back through the great fish, spit him onto the land, and he went to Nineveh, he's still in rebellion. You know, you can do what God told you with a stubborn heart, and you're still in rebellion. Well, I'll do it, but I won't do it happily. God loves a cheerful giver. And and Jonah preached, 40 days and you're going down. And he was ha- that was a happy moment. And he was waiting for the 40 days, and you, but he knew that God wasn't going to do that, that God was kind, and that, that God might bring these people to repentance. Sure enough, God didn't disappoint him, but he made him mad. I have a right to be mad. How can you be so kind to those horrible people? How can you be kind to horrible people? Maybe Jonah didn't see himself very clearly, did he? And so... God will honor the office, but it doesn't absolve the man personally. 15 through 18, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So all of the disciples scattered, but this disciple, who we know is John, he always talks of himself in the third person. 
He also, through his father Zebedee, what historians tell us, how he was connected to the high priest was not illicit or weird. Simply, he was, they were fish salesmen, and they brought fish to the high priest and sold them there is what we think, what we think. So he knows John through his family, and he comes back to follow, but Peter follows at a distance. He stood at the door, verse 16, outside, and then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to her who kept the door, and brought Peter in. Now, he's not inside a house as much as a courtyard area of a house, you know. And the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? (laughs) And he said, I am not. Now, the servants and the officers who made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. You know, Peter always was a man of good intentions, but it's never good when you operate what we call, and we've talked about it, in the flesh, in the human nature, apart from God's direction. Everyone's done it. No one learns in one day. They go to a class. Well, there's a college class at at Adirondack Community. How to not do things out of human energy but God's power. It's a one-day class. It costs $57 plus books. And when you're done with that day, then you absolutely know how to walk in the Spirit without any issues. Everybody, <laughs> if you didn't hear that, somebody said, "Sign me up." We're all. If somebody tries to sell you that idea that all you need is this one one prayer, a prayer of deliverance from the flesh, I don't even know what that means. Uh, I do pray for deliverance from the human and from sin, of course, and I've seen chains be broken in a day. But overall, Christians learn to walk in the Spirit, learn how to shed the things of the flesh, how to turn from sin to God, and it's a constant walk of repentance, renewal, and restoration, and strengthening. And hopefully what happens, and truthfully what happens, is as you mature in Christ, you learn to yield to the Spirit versus the human and be able to tell the difference. But no one does it perfectly ever. That I, I don't see anyone but Jesus do it perfectly. Now, Peter, later on, after he's done everything he does, has a fall down of sinful behavior that Paul calls him out on when he's, you know, for some people he's the Pope, for others he's a strong elder in the church, and yet he still has a stumbling and needs to be corrected. If you get to where you don't think you need to be corrected, you need to be hammered. (laughs) Because they that humble themselves, God will exalt, and they that exalt themselves, God will humble. Do not ever consider yourself, don't consider me, don't consider anybody above needing correction. It's the human condition, and it's a blessing from God that we can be corrected and receive it. A wise man will receive rebuke and instruction and become wiser still, the Proverbs tell us. How do I know a wise man? You don't need to tell me. I have experience. I have knowledge. Lord, I'm going to get away from that guy. Well, this is how I see it, but, you know, I don't know everything. Share it with me. What do you see? Okay, I trust that man or woman. So he, he falls into confusion and fear, and, and, well, and here's what happens sometimes, and it's probably happened to some degree to every Christian, but some people live in this, and God would, del- if this is you today, I want you to know, there is deliverance. I still I do believe in God to deliver you from this. But here's what it is, is that God, um, 
doesn't honor our human effort, and we thought it was spiritual because we're still learning and growing, or for whatever reason, he doesn't offer honor our efforts in the sense of making what happened what we thought he'd make happen. I prayed, I fasted, I sought the Lord, I got a scripture. Even to that degree, it can happen. Not just a person who says, God, this is what I'm going to do, and I pray you'd bless it. There are church meetings where leaders gather and say, here's our plans, here's what we're going to do, and they talk, 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 talk. So, okay, this is what we're going to do. Well, let's pray. God, bless our plans. That isn't necessarily the Holy Spirit working. God, what is your plan? We have to take time. We have to seek the Lord. We can present to each other our plans and think about things, but we need the Lord. And so from the smallest, simplest, uh, let's make a plan and just ask God to bless it, to the intense prayer and seeking of God, this can happen. Well, what is it that can happen, Rick? Is that God doesn't honor our human effort, our plan, our direction, and we become disillusioned with God disillusioned with God. Some people will never admit it that that's what's going on, but that's what backs them away from prayer, from interacting, from getting involved in the work of the kingdom, because they're disillusioned with God. Um, Everyone has that happen. I certainly have had that happen. I thought God was going to do this. I thought I had all my ducks in a row, and they were all spirit-led. Holy Spirit dove ducks, (laughs) you know, and it just didn't happen the way I thought. Am I alone here? No, I'm not. I knew the answer to that. (laughs) I'm not alone. You're not alone either. Entire church groups to one simple person, it happens. But the simple issue of this is, who's the servant and who's the master? Now, that's not all our relationship with the Lord, and we're going to get to that. But my friends... It has to be that what I do, I do to honor God, and I let him redirect at every point. And I find out, I find out how much it is love for the Lord and deep honor to him when things don't go the way I thought, how disillusioned I get, or how long I stay in disillusionment. There's tough things. There's really tough things. And when you thought God was going to do something, then he doesn't. Man, that's tough. We admit it, don't we? But I love to help people see past that because when you get past that, you see Jesus and you see his love for you far deeper than your plan, your hope or your dream on the earth, even a good thing. Don't ask Rick Cohen or some counselor or pastor or leader to explain it all to you and tell you why that didn't happen. They don't know. (laughs) God knows. God has a plan, and it's an eternal plan, and that's why you're here, not for this thing to work out or that thing to work out, and that's very frustrating. You can give much more energy to things that might not work out if you understand that versus just always being tentative. Are you tentative about everything? Because, well, what if it doesn't work out? Well, what if it doesn't work out? I'm still breathing. Apparently, I'm still eating. And plenty of things haven't worked out. But Jesus has always been there. I felt it was important to mention that. I know you're with me here. I know you go through this. And I know God wants you to be set free from disillusionment. And it won't be found by having stuff work out. It'll be found in Jesus Christ himself. And so, 
Yeah, uh, you know, in Matthew, here's the classic story with Peter is he fails, then he follows, but at a distance, then he finds warmth at the enemy's fire, those who hate Christ, and then he flatly denies his Savior. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that's a very common study you can do. He, I'll do it again. He fails, then he follows at a distance, then he finds warmth in the enemy's fire, and then he flatly denies his Savior. I worded it my own way but for the alliteration, but... Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, talk about the fact that he curses in denial with his tongue. And it'll come up again. John spares this detail. Peter's his good friend. I said last week that John kind of likes to point Peter out, but he actually covers this one. Not that he doesn't think we'll find out or know. 19 through 24. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. He's got him in his house. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. And I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said this, these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Well, Jesus is going to endure, you could say, three trials here, this being one of them. Uh, one, two Jewish, this one and the next one, and this isn't really a trial, it's an examination. And then the Roman one before Pilate. Now, here's what's important, I think, to understand. The Jewish law that they typically followed, even, and you hear them say at different times, does our, man, does our law condemn a man being uncondemned? Uh, unjudged or having no proof. You needed two or three witnesses to convict somebody. One person couldn't rise up against, and they had trouble doing that when they were at uh, Caiaphas's later. And we don't have that in John, but we have that in the synoptic, the other three Gospels. And, and so if, as you read through that, and here's some of those things that are said by the people who are standing up a little bit against it, like Nicodemus. The Jews had, not only through the law of Moses, was clear about how you handled legal things. And on top of it, they added their own system of law to, you know, the fence around the law, that, that, you know, the Sabbath was a fence, the way they did the Sabbath, you can only walk so far, was additional to the law to be sure they did it right. They did that with legal things, too. Except this day. Rome had the highest secular system of government, of law. They, were, they ruled with iron, and yes, if you fought a Roman soldier, you could get crucified the same day. But they had Barabbas in for insurrection and killing somebody, and you know what? He was supposed to go through trial and everything. Did you catch that? That he was giving, being given due process, too, because Rome had a very high process that they went through, except today. Today, it's three kangaroo courts in a row. You see, Jesus isn't saying, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, to, to, to Annas. Jesus is saying, you brought me in the middle of the night and grabbed me and arrested me, and you haven't even brought a charge against me. You have to bring a charge against me. You need to say to me, Jesus of Nazareth, you have been charged with sedition because of this, this, and this. How do you plead? Did that happen here? No. It's questions. And Jesus says, uh, questions? 
He's not being obstinate. He's pointing out the ridiculousness of the situation. If you've got charges against me, tell me what I've done. You're asking me what I've been saying, and this is important. Everything I said, I have said in public. Everything I've done has been made known. You say, well, wait a minute. Didn't he talk privately to his disciples? Yeah. Didn't he give them the interpretation of those, I'll get it out, parables privately? Remember that? Is it private? How come you know what he said? (laughs) If it's private, yes, he said it privately because they gathered around him. He said things privately to them, but everything Jesus said, he said, when I speak to you in private, you go shout from the housetops. When he did speak privately, and he said the reason they don't understand the, the parables is because their eyes are closed and heart, their ears are closed, their heart is hardened. But you're going to find other people who will open up and understand it. That isn't God hiding things in secret and having secret issues. This is important because if you go to certain groups, groups that do good, nice work for people, There are groups that have secret orders, and they claim Christianity. I just had a phone call with somebody who's living in the South. In the area they're in, very predominant, is Freemasonry. And, and, you know, they have all these other programs, uh, subsidiary things and plans and things. But if you go into the heart of Freemasonry, there's a secret order. In Mormonism, and I'm not here to pick on other groups, but this isn't about my group, your group. This is about Jesus' word and how people get deceived. If you ask, if you have a Mormon friend, if you're a Mormon here today, ask them, how do you get to the top, into the inner sanctum, and in the inner circles? You have to have their secret information, secret knowledge. And there are many in between those beyond who come and say, yeah, well, we have this secret information. It'll make you more spiritual and stronger if you're really elite. You have to be invited in specially to this. Well, you know what? That's not of God. Jesus right here says, like he said in John 16, 13, the spirit of truth will come and he'll show you all things, 16, 25. I'll tell you plainly about the Father then. In Matthew 10, 27, when I tell you in darkness, you speak in the light. What you hear um, in the ear you preach on the housetops, and Peter tells us later in Second Peter one twenty, we need the, we know this first and above all else that no prophecy of the Old Testament came by private interpretation. Even the guy who spoke it might not have understood all he was saying, but it wasn't privately his. It was meant for all to understand through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you can't understand the Word of God without the Spirit, but I don't have a corner of the market on it. I'm not the one who shows you and only my insight. It's God revealing himself to mankind. They that humble themselves will be exalted. They that have a listening ear and a broken heart, God will heal. No secrets, no special order, none of that kind of stuff. And I felt it's important we bring that out. You know, there's a difference. We're going to go one more layer on this. To you and me, because you go, well, I don't deal with that stuff. There's a difference between things that are personal and things that are secret. If a brother comes to me and says, I have something that's very personal, people ask me that. Now, this information isn't for everybody in the church. And I say, oh, rats. I was just anxious to tell her. <laughs> no, I don't do that. You don't, 
you won't, you won't, if you catch me, if it's a mistake I make, if it's a sin I fall into, uh, rebuke me kindly and let me give me a chance to repent. But I don't take what people tell me personally and share them. You know, people think my wife knows everything people tell me. No, she doesn't. Where it's appropriate, she does. Where it's inappropriate, she doesn't. Because there's such a thing as privacy and personal things, and you should have sometimes one or two or three people that you can talk to about certain issues that we don't encourage people to blab your whole world all over to everybody. Sometimes a person needs to express himself. It's even in a group, and the Holy Spirit's working, and we don't deny that, nor do we reject that. But we would not say to every point, well, if you really want to walk with the Lord here, tell us all your deep, dark secrets. Michael, you got 10 seconds, go. We don't do that. We're not, that's not our job. But it's also each of your and my job not to carry secrets. There's secret sin. And there's things that you say, I don't want those people to know, but I want you to know for reasons that are not right. And you and I need to be able to distinguish that. You know, Sure, even the leadership of church may say, well, everybody doesn't need to know about all this. It would just burden them down and overwhelm them, and it's not public knowledge. But when it comes to the direction of the church, you know, we talked to you about everything. We had, Cheryl got up and said, this is what they're saying at, at, uh, for birthright. We've been talking about it and praying about what to do. We value your input. There won't be any secret if we increase what we give to help them. We don't do anything that isn't made public in that sense. Do, if a person has a personal issue and not everybody knows them, there's no reason, unless it's necessary, to bring that before the whole body. Of course, just as you don't take somebody that comes to you and bring it before everybody else. But we don't keep secrets from each other that really should. If somebody says to me, I, I want you to keep a secret, my antenna goes up. I want to talk to you privately about an issue with me. That's one thing. But I want to keep a secret from other people. Mm. Do you understand the distinction I'm making? And, and, and so um, uh, secrets are usually attached to some kind of sin. Secret information. So be careful of that. Annas and his friends have no understanding of what Jesus is saying. Their hearts are closed, their agenda is set, and they're only beginning to abuse Jesus, verses 25 through 27. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear... There's always a cousin around, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so don't keep secrets, because somebody's cousin will be there. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did not I see you in the garden with him? And Peter then denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Well, as I've said, what we know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke is that when he denied, he denied vehemently with cursing. It doesn't necessarily mean he was going blankety, blank, 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 although that's probably part of it. He reverted to his, he's in the flesh and he's a fisherman. Just add, put the numbers together. But, but... But he's cursing with an oath. It says, I swear, blah, 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 I don't know the man. He swears. He's loud. He's intense. He's Peter. He doesn't go, well, actually, I, I, I really don't believe I know him. <laughs> when you say know him, do you, <laughs> no, it was like, no. And then the cock crows, and Peter goes out. We read from the other Gospels, and what does he do? Say it. Wept bitterly. Okay, listen. He wept bitterly. We want to talk about why he did, but let's, let me take a minute on something else. And I do understand today particularly, I see myself making observations that aren't directly 
the exact meaning of the scripture. You get to discern that. You get to understand that I'm giving you a perspective. And uh, some of these are observations, not statistics or absolute scripture. And I tell you that when I do that. And everybody does that to some degree. But I'm extending a little bit here today, okay, with a point that I feel is important. Uh, Peter had a depth of emotion here. Now, that's clear. He wept bitterly. You might say, well, all those Jews in Israel, they all, they tore their clothes and fell on the ground. And when they got excited, they got crazy excited. And right now in the Middle East, people get crazy excited. I'm scared of all that. I'm glad I'm a wasp, you say, or some other form of Western. Because if you go to any kind of ethnic group, it's usually a little more lively than, you know, just waspy people. (laughs) And, you know, I understand, and and I'm not suggesting that we have to be just like other groups. Of course, I I don't fit in exactly, and uh, neither do you, Abigail. We we don't fit. (laughs) But in that sense... Well, I don't know about your emotion or mine, but, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not, I come from a very emotional Jewish family. God delivered me from some of the extreme emotions. Some of you could be very, come from a wasp, if you will, a Western family, and it's still very emotional and overwhelmingly emotional. I get that. We're not here to have a litmus test and a, you know, litmus counter to see how your emotions, how well you do at the, on some kind of perfect level. There's no such thing. You get to be who you are. But Peter weeps bitterly. In the West, we have a sense that the people in the East are all crazy because of the, especially today with all that we see. And we have a tendency because we're under such control, think so linearly, and all the things that are involved in Western culture. You're cultural, my friend, whether you like it or not. Whether you, even, you don't even know how cultural you are. And I don't either. And there's areas. But it's because you uh, like control. And, and I do like control. I don't want to be out of control. And because it's what we've grown up in. But, you know, the thing is, is that you could easily cast aside for stoicism, stoicism, excuse me, you could cast aside the issue of actually expressing emotion. And that would not necessarily be healthy. So let me ask you this question. In the West, here in our country particularly, mm-hmm. How do people who don't know what to do with their emotion, what would you say the number one emotion that comes out that's expressed when people are bottled up emotionally and don't know what to do? Anger. Did you see how that was? Did you guys over here hear that? Because it was these people. You were kind of, what? (laughs) Not to point out that group right there. Don't look at them. But anger. I knew that you'd answer right. Because we've all observed it. And we all have observed it internally. I don't know what to do. I get mad. Not all anger just comes from being violent and angry. It comes from not understanding, being confused and frustrated. And so people that don't know how to express emotion, often only when they do express emotion, only express anger. And you know what? First of all, you have to be willing to help somebody through that and let them be who they are first. So when I'm sitting with somebody and they're struggling and they start to blurt out and they curse, use curse words, I don't say, I'm a pastor and you're in the church office. How dare you use curse words? Get out of here. (laughs) You might. Some people I know might say, that's the line for me. If anybody uses a bad word, they're over. Well, gosh. I mean, yes, if they're... If my elders come to me, <laughs> I'd say, "Whoa, you know." But but uh, but you know, mature people 
maybe have learned not to do that, but people have to start where they are, don't they? And some of you are saying, "Uh uh-huh, I've been around a long time, and I curse when I get really mad. Well, shame on you. No, get over it. No, but it's good to get over. It is good to get over. Let no corrupt words come out of your mouth. But look, at none of, this isn't about being perfect. This is about how to help people wherever they are to move forward. And some of it's letting out the anger and then learning how to process and deal with. And I don't want to go on a giant tirade about this, but let's not forget the depth of emotion that we see here. What is Peter expressing? Remorse and what else? Huh? Say it loud if I can hear. Sorrow. He's grieving, isn't he? He's he hates himself right now. Have you ever wept bitterly? You're mad at somebody or grieving over something. Peter's who's he mad at? He's mad at himself and he's grieving over and let me say it this way. Um so so I'm not telling you what to do with your emotion, but I'm saying there has to be room for us to grow. You know, I think adults still need to grow emotionally to be able to express themselves healthily. And so what do you need for that? You need an environment where people can handle it for you to kind of go through your paces. It should be in your family, but what if it's not? The church should be that family absolutely with that. And I just, I don't have to fix it right now, but I think by expressing it, it might help us do better. And I'm hopeful of that. Because there's a better way. You know, that anger comes out in our nation on the road. I mean, you could say it's just selfishness, but it's not just selfishness. There's a whole lot of mixed up stuff in people because people who aren't frustrated and are clear thinking and are balanced kind of do better. And people who aren't clear thinking and aren't balanced don't do so well at driving, at talking, at having to wait in line at the store if somebody's thing gets messed up and they have to wait another minute. Or they quietly go find the next register and say, wow. (laughs) But they don't, like, it doesn't destroy their world. How are you doing? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're doing great at all of this. The Holy Spirit wants to go into these areas of our life and our deep emotions. And he'll reveal to you what you need to be fixed. But he's doing more than an emotional deal. This isn't like healing of emotions. This is the work of the Holy Spirit on repentant hearts. Peter wept bitterly because he failed. But I don't think he's saying in his mind, I failed God. I think he's saying, I failed Jesus. Oh, Rick, you're really going to town here. Huh? Isn't Jesus God? Yes, I absolutely believe 100% Jesus is God. Did Peter believe that? Yes, but he's in a confusion. You're the Christ, the Son of the Most Blessed. God, flesh and blood didn't reveal you to this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. Great. Okay, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. No, this will never happen to you, Lord. Well, some people do talk to God that way, but, <laughs> but uh, even Peter later, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. But he's kind of looking at Jesus more as this is his, uh, uh, this is my opinion. You get to research the Lord on this. He sees Jesus as his best friend. And he's failed his best friend. And because if he really trusted that Jesus was God, he'd also trust that Jesus has us under control. And he obviously does not trust that. So I failed Jesus, but has he failed God? Yeah, he did. And you know what? He has weeping, remorseful tears. You've had weeping of bitterness in your own heart somewhere that maybe the rest of us don't know about. Some of you are more expressive, and we've seen it. And it doesn't matter. We're not correcting you. But 
have we wept over our sin? See, again, we're so Western that, you know, we, uh, some people are afraid if they let their emotion out, they won't be able to ever stop it and pull it back in. But I'm not so sure that we understand true repentance, and I don't think you have to show this deep emotion every time you repent. But I would not think that we have it down just because we are so, yes, I'm truly sorry, and I realize I've sinned. Thank you very much, God. Amen. You know, I don't know. I can't tell you for you. I can tell you for me, I've had moments where I wept bitterly because of my sin, really more than anything. That's how I know God's working in my life. Because I've gotten mad and frustrated and been hurt by people, and I've wept bitterly. But my greatest bitter weeping has been my own failure. I can take it when you hurt me. I think I really can. I think I've, to the degree that I know, I've proven that in my life. It's really hard to take when I fail. That might be connected to my pride, thinking I'm better than I am. But it's really hard to take. When, I, the, when you fail at the thing you're actually good at, that you care about too, that you thought you were on top of, that's like the worst. When I fail when, uh, oh, Rick didn't organize really well. <laughs> oh, I feel so bad that that happened once. But when I failed to love someone properly, I spoke in a way that hurt them with my words. I care about that. I don't really care about the organizing as much. So you take care of the organizing. But we all got to take care of our words. So anyway, Jesus, he's failed God when he failed Jesus, but he's also a friend of Jesus and a friend of God. You got to remember that because Abraham is the father of our faith, not Moses. Moses is like really high on the charts for Jews, right? Like Moses, Moses, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. (laughs) But Abraham is the father of Jewish faith, and he's the father of Christian faith. And he was called the friend of God. Is God your friend? Is God your best friend? First of all, don't look at it from your side because you might fall short. Look at it from his side. From his side, he's your best friend. Not Rick's opinion, God's word. From now on, I don't call you servants, but I do call you friends. You're not just servants who he doesn't tell anything to. He won't tell you everything because you you can't figure it out. Your mind's too small. But he tells you his plan, his purpose, and his destiny for you. Remember, your destiny and your, um, and your, uh, your purpose and your destiny. Your purpose to glorify God and your destiny to be with him forever. Remember our chart we did a few weeks ago? you were here i barely remember so it's okay but anyway but you know he's a friend of god and he and there he's not just a servant and he did fail god you are god's friend and if he's your friend if god is your friend at all he's your best friend either god's your best friend or he's not your friend he, he doesn't he doesn't play games with that he's not a halfway person You know, if you have a best friend on earth, that's fine, but how is that person? They're not as good as God. How do I know? Because if they actually really truly knew, as you say, oh, they know everything about me. No, they don't. Do you tell them every evil, wicked thought about all your rebellion and your dreams? You don't. You'd make them sick and they'd run. You have a best friend. I'm not... I'm not taking our Lord lightly. I consider God my best friend, but I don't go, hey, buddy, I know that I honor the Lord. I may have a casual style. We may have a casual style. You know, 
but I know who my Lord is. He's my Lord, he's my Savior, he's the King of kings, Lord of lords, he's the immutable, only wise God who dwells alone in light and immortality. He's God the King, and I'll never honor him enough. And I love him for who he is, far beyond what I can understand about him. And I have a reverence for him. And yet, this is, it's just, don't ask me to explain it, he's my best friend. Because I can tell him anything. And he already knows it, and he still loves me. He who knows me best loves me most. And that doesn't make any sense, except because of who he is. But Peter did fail God. Who can't relate to Peter? Who, who hasn't fallen short? Who hasn't choked in that moment that you could have stood for him? Who hasn't felt like you disappointed God? Yet Jesus told him exactly, and we had a whole study on it, that he can't disappoint him if Jesus knows and tells him what's happening because disappointment means you expected more and got less, but Jesus didn't expect any different. But he pulls Peter out because he has a plan for Peter. Peter's tongue always got him into trouble, Right? In the multitude of words, there's no want of sin. A friend of mine in the 70s made a, a poster. He was a really good artist. And it had, a, it had that proverb on the top. It had a guy standing on a podium, and just letters and words were pouring out of his mouth, and, they were, and people were getting crushed under them. And I said, oh, don't show me that. It's too close to home. <laughs> you know, the more you talk. And yet, do you not speak? I'm sure Peter said, like, I'll never speak again. I'll never talk about Jesus. I'll never talk about nothing. Nothing important. Yeah, let's go fishing, and we'll just talk about fishing. That I know, and I won't get in trouble there. Because it's okay to lie. But he didn't lie. What have you caught? Nothing. It was amazing. Well, listen. He doesn't disappoint Jesus. His tongue always got him into trouble. But, my friends, one day, about 40 plus one day later, that tongue will be the first tongue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. The same tongue that cursed, I don't know the man, would stand before all men, because this has gone public, but he stood before a group that had to be way more than 3,000 men, plus women and children, plus the other men that didn't receive. On the day of Pentecost, Men and brethren, what should we do? And Peter, has, after he's preached the gospel, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Your sins will be forgiven. The promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, as far and as many as the Lord our God shall call. And he was the first man. That tongue was the first tongue to publicly stand up and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And one of the verses there says, For God's mercy endures forever, and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Open your mouth as you're able. Sometimes it starts here. The good thing about people speaking out praises out loud, and thank you, Jesus, praise you, I worship you today in the middle of a worship service, the good thing about that is it gets some people who will never open their mouths to open their mouths. I mean, if you can't do it here, how are you going to do it elsewhere? Again, we don't have a Geiger counter to see who's praising out loud. You, don't have, you can be quiet. But do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about, do you sense, and, and I, here's what I'm trusting, 
God knows those who he's talking to. Rick doesn't. But God wants to release something in us. He wants to release the capacity to give testimony, to share of his goodness, to open our mouths freely. Yes, with care and with... I don't, I don't think you're supposed to go to your job and start handing out tracts, and, especially during work hours, and, and be just babbling away all day long at people. And you know what I mean? I don't think you're supposed to do that in your house with non-believing relatives either. You're supposed to live it out in front of people. You get to be the one that lets the Holy Spirit show you whether you're listening to him or not, whether you're opening the way God wants you to or not, whether you're being set free. Because, see, a free person, all they want is for other people to be free. When somebody wants to oppress me and say, this is what, how you have to think, Rick, and you must do it this way, I realize they're not free or they'd be more relaxed. I don't need you to do anything. But I want you to experience God, and I want to experience God more fully than I do today. Does anybody else want to have more, more relationship? Do you, do you want to know him as your friend better? All these things we're talking about. It's not about being perfect. You'll never do it. It's about growing in the grace of Jesus Christ. So I'm just pointing us there today as best I can. Um, but, but Jesus has a high calling for Peter, and his tongue sees 3,000 saved that day. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Our message is not of our making. It's, it's not our preference or our making. It's God's word. If I, was get to, if I was able to choose, my message would be to people everywhere, it would be what's easy for me and comfortable, What's easy for you and them, comfortable. What makes us all rock back and forth in peace with each other and say everything's good as long as we just love each other because people can handle that without any conflict. And I don't like conflict. You know, I, I, People who want conflict scare me. I don't want conflict. I'm willing to have conflict, but I don't want it. And I would rather have nobody be mad at me or think I'm small-minded, wouldn't you? You wake up every day. I hope people think I'm a small-minded, backwards person that's lost track of reality because I believe in Jesus. Oh, God, send me people that feel that way about me and have them rail on me. I don't do that. I want to relate and have people like me. Are you any different than me? Do you want people to not like you? What's wrong with you? (laughs) No, but you know what? I'm willing to have the conflict for their soul. Because that's what I went through and because I know Jesus is true. See, my message, our message, isn't of our own making or preference. It's God's word. And our testimony, which is different than our message, but is connected to our message. Our testimony is how God's worked his word and his truth and the message in my life. And because I have a testimony that doesn't have to be, I was on drug for 80 years and killed 40 people and then I got saved. The testimony can simply be, God showed me my need for a Savior, and I'm lost without him, and I know it. And my testimony is how God's word comes true in my life. Diane Conroe read the psalm responsibly at first service, and when we prayed, she said, Lord, I thank you that Psalm 107 is my testimony. Because it said, I was down to the pit, the low, and you lifted me up. And she just freely prayed that prayer because that was what she saw in that psalm. And it kind of set us all free to pray. And it was great. We prayed well here too. I mean, it was great to hear people pray. But you may have even cursed the Lord. 
You may have started with human effort. You may have started with rebellion. You may have even cursed the name of God. I don't buy that Jesus stuff. You know, you can curse without saying curse words. I don't remember what words I used. I wasn't really a big curser, if you will, foul language guy when I was 18. But I pretty much said, and the cursing was in my voice and in my thoughts, I don't buy that Jesus stuff. Oh, but oh Lord, in front of your bulletin, if you should mark iniquity as a Lord who could stand, but there's forgiveness with you that you might be feared. You know, what happens is the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It's purifying. It draws me close to him, not pushes me away from him. It means that I have such a reverence and awareness of his bigness and my smallness, his purity and my impurity, that I, I can't just say it doesn't matter. The fear of the Lord causes you and causes me to not say whatever. You can't do it. You feel you're, you're um, there's a word, you're drawn, you're, you can help me out if you know, you're pressed, huh? Compelled. Yes, three people said the right Again, nobody over here came up with that word. What's... I'm wondering about those chairs. You are compelled to deal with it. The fear of the Lord is clean and pure and draws, and you are compelled to deal with yourself before him. Do you have a healthy fear of the Lord today? I mean, sometimes I've seen, I didn't. I go, yeah, I know, but. And then, Eventually, because of how that goes, I weep bitterly. <laughs> and then I repent, thankfully. He's so good. There's forgiveness with you that you might be feared. Can we stand? No musicians up here for the 